Spencer, do you like awards in cycling? Awards? I like the ones that I win. Uh, well, you're not going to Well, I don't win any, though, so. Yeah, screw you're yeah. not winning any of the awards that I'm talking about. Uh, we got the awards issue of Velo News Magazine hitting newsstands soon. That, of course, is the annual issue of Velo News where we hand out all the awards like uh, Best Lunch Ride Attack and Worst Shammy and uh, Best Take. Oh, wait, no, those are completely different awards. Yeah, that's for the holiday party, probably. What kind of awards do we have in there? We've got Cyclist of the Year. We've got Day of Racing of the Year, Team of the Year. North American Rider of the Year. Yes, this is our annual awards issue. We do this every year, and it just provides a great look back on the season that was 2018. It was a pretty good season, wouldn't you say, Fred? I would say so. We had great Grand Tour racing. The classics were awesome. We are being treated to a very good cyclocross season as well. So check it out. 2018 Velo News Awards issue on newsstands now. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, and you have probably been missing us because we've had those pesky uh, interview podcasts playing the last two weeks. Here in the Velo News World Headquarters with Dane Cash and Spencer, both kind of smirking at each other about uh, my intro this week. Guys, did you enjoy your respective Thanksgiving weekends? Yes, nodding of the heads. Yeah. Dane, what did you do? What did you get up to with your Thanksgiving? It was a, it was a Friendsgiving uh, for us uh, here, here in Colorado. We didn't want to fly back to D.C. for the nth time. So, uh, yeah, enjoyed some, some time with friends. Ate a whole lot of turkey. Ate a whole lot of potatoes. That's sort of the norm for me. Did you indulge in any cycling or outdoor activity? I did not indulge in any outdoor acti- any activity. I mean, okay. unless you count sitting on the couch, does that count? Watching football? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't no, very active. That no. is not. Dan- uh-uh. Let's forget. Dane is a regular regular person. That's right. Not one of us. <laughs> regular sports fan. Yeah, he's a regular right. sports yeah. fan. It's not one of us weirdos. No. And I like Spencer. Uh, Spencer, I believe your Thanksgiving included just riding hundreds of miles every day in Moab. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't say hundreds of miles. We were we were out in Moab camping, went mountain biking. Oh, I learned how to to ride a moto. I learned how to ride a dirt bike. So basically, I think I'm going to sell all my bicycles, buy a moto, and then immediately break myself in half. Oh, my gosh. Don't do it. The allure. But it's so fun. It's so fun, though. Yeah, well, see, that's what you did. You had a very cyclist Thanksgiving. I did, I did. And, you know, we made, you know, tacos for Thanksgiving, that sort of thing, cooking on a little camp stove. It, it was nice. You know, it's a great time to get out and camp in, in the fall. No football for you. No uh, football. I, I did an in-between, which was did Thanksgiving with family, but I uh, participated in the annual outdoor activity that many Americans do, which is the running of the annual turkey trot. Turkey trot. Like the terrible... Short, like, 5K in your neighborhood. Are you a costume guy for the turkey trot? Uh, I have been in years past. This year, I was just a runner Are you a try-to-win guy? No, definitely not a try-to-win guy. Uh, It's to try to run with my spouse and have a good time Hmm. and smile and justify that, like, ninth helping of pie that I always end up having and say, oh, I ran four miles this morning, so it'll be fine. Fred, you why do you keep running? Yeah, running. I, I don't understand. I, I just to get myself ready for the turkey trot. You know, there all there are always those tryhards who go really hard in the turkey trot, and yeah. every year I, I tell myself, you know, I'm gonna like I'm gonna do some training. I'm gonna work on my sprint, and next year I'm just going to dominate the 5K turkey trot. Be a and nice one for the resume. That's true, but yeah. then when uh, push comes to shove, comes to run, comes to skip. I just say, nah, who wants to be that guy? I feel like that's the guy who's like elbowing people in the Halloween cyclocross race, right? Good point. Uh, Well, speaking of cyclocross, we have a cyclocross-centric episode of the Vell News podcast this week because we are about halfway through the international calendar of cyclocross. We are most of the way through the North American calendar of cyclocross. Just a couple weekends left. U.S. Nationals coming up. We have a very healthy glimpse of uh, the the various storylines going on in both domestic and international cross. And we are going to focus this week on two storylines, one of them domestic, and that is what's been going on in the men's field in domestic North American cross, where we have a few uh, young riders coming to the fore, a few veteran riders being sidelined by injuries. It's like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where every so often one of the kids gets taken away. Yeah. 
flies down a chute or or is washed away in the chocolate river and before you know it you've just got charlie left there's they're they're dropping like flies Stephen hyde turns into a (laughs) giant blueberry they're dropping like flies and then on the international end of things we are going to talk about the very interesting uh dynamic going on in the international women's field where boy it seems like every weekend we have a new and different winner on the world cup and the dvv trophy um all sorts of different women really stepping up this year, doing well, in addition to some household favorites like Mariana Voss, Sana Kant, and the usual suspects. But let's get into it, guys. Let's talk about uh, North American men's racing. As we stand here in the uh, final week of November, we've had a bunch of different guys win races this year. Dane, you know, you spoke with one of these guys uh, last week, Curtis White, and first of all, what are the races that Curtis was winning? And, and why do you think Curtis White has been stepping it up this year? So Curtis has had a great, uh, well, it's about a month now, really a really strong stretch there for, for two, three weeks. He won uh, both days of Grand Prix at Gloucester, which is, you know, that's a big race. And then he won Pan Ams. And that that's, I think, the biggest result of his career. It was something that he was really targeting this year. And, and uh, he had a really great race there. And he showed that he's kind of taken a step forward this year in a couple of different ways. And then he kind of went on and, and uh, won both days at Verge Northampton and Supercross. So I think he's kind of confirmed that he's that he's not just a flash in the pan with that Pan Am result. <laughs> uh, it nice. was a pretty strong one, uh, but he's also just on good form generally. And I think some of the reasoning behind that, well, the, the big reasoning, I think, for a lot of guys stepping up is just injuries to some of these other big stars. We mentioned it. Uh, Stephen Hyde's the biggest one. I think Stephen Hyde was pretty dominant last year. Yeah, Hyde's had a rough stretch. He broke his sternum at the first World Cup of the season in Waterloo, Wisconsin, I, I have no interest in finding out what that sensation is like to break a sternum. Mm. That's That sounds terrible. So he went through that, started to rehab, started to recover. And then sure enough, at Pan Am Games, he's in that front group with Curtis White, also with... Um, Vandenham was there. Yeah, Michael Vandenham of yeah. Canada, and then also Kerry Werner. We're going to talk more about Kerry in a sec. And he had this nasty crash coming into the run-up. I, it was the weirdest thing. I saw a little clip of it, and it's like his bike just shot out from underneath him and he just got slammed and messed up his ankle i believe is it was it was something to some sort of uh, injury with the ankle nothing to totally take him out of the game but he's had to step back and again rehab and from what i hear he's training hard and he's planning to be out for the nbx race which is in new england this this coming weekend one of the final tune-ups for nationals you know that's a dynamic that i remember seeing on the old norba circuit which was when you had a really dominant or top rider suffer an injury early that oftentimes they had new calamities hit them once they came back because mentally they're still thinking they belong at the front of the race and they do but their their skills just aren't as sharp and i mean it would you can't say for certain if that's what was going on with Hyde but it's like you're so used to being there you're so comfortable being there and you come back and maybe just the spear isn't especially sharp or you've lost some crucial weeks uh in there of of you know just getting the handling dialed and new stuff can happen. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty true across a lot of different sports. I feel like you see that in football or baseball, wherever, where somebody gets injured early on, and then it's just one injury after another for the rest of the season. Particularly like hamstring injuries in football. It's like, oh, they get a hamstring injury, they're just, rest of the year, something's going to happen to them. And with Hyde, at least he has a teammate who's able to step up and give the Cannondale team continued results. So Stephen Hyde, though, he's not the only guy to be injured, right? That's right. So another big name going into the season was we were kind of wondering about was Jeremy Powers, and he had a new set of sponsors, and he also said that he had been training and things have been going well. He got set up with his own personal program, wouldn't have to worry about managing that uh, Rafa-focused team like he had in years past, which maybe perhaps distracted a little from the basic craft of being a racer, but he comes into the season and has a string of two illnesses, very weird illnesses that just set him back majorly, and then finally back at the races at Cincinnati, tweaks his back, and then uh, has to rehab from that. And finally, and this is just out in his recent Behind the Barriers video today, 
he heads up to Midland, Ontario, again, for Pan Am Championships. And he, again, has that back issue flare up just in practice, doesn't even start the race. So Jeremy Powers, another big name who you've heard over the years, former national champion, you'd expect he'd be a factor, but he's also out of the picture. So that does open the door for a guy like Curtis White. And to be fair, Dane, I think, you know, based on your story, it sounds like Curtis has done a lot to step up from what he was last year. And last year, he was just an under-23 racer, I might add. Yeah, that's definitely the other facet of this. I think uh, Curtis and some of these other guys who are stepping up too, and we'll talk about this, but I think Curtis has really improved as well. It's not just that such that the field has, has decreased in quality. I think he has increased his ability uh, in a number of different ways. He made some changes to his program over the last 12 months that have uh, they've clearly borne born fruit. I mean, he's um, he switched trainers and he, he made it very That was the first thing. I mean, when I asked him some of the, what he's been doing differently, that he immediately went to that. He's got a new trainer who he seems to really like. Uh, and he has, I think, improved his all-around skill set and he's always been known as a guy who's got some punch. As a, he's got a fast finish. He can win a sprint between a couple of different riders. Uh, but now he seems more capable of climbing well. He lost some weight. I think he lost about 10 pounds over the course of a year, which is pretty significant. It is. And so those changes really helped. Uh, he's also working with a sports psychologist. He said that that stretch there, there's about a year, a year and a half stretch where he just he wasn't doing that great. <laughs> and he wasn't really living up to some of the expectations that, that he had for himself, that the media had for him. And so I think working with a sports psychologist, he's able to refine some of the motivation that he might have lost. That's funny. When I think of Curtis White, I think of the young, talented rider who's had the factory ride for a long time. So he's been on this uh, Cannondale Cyclocross World Team since the Tim Johnson, Ryan Trabone days. He was the development rider, I believe, in 2013, 2014, when he was just 18 years old. And when you see a rider get an opportunity like that, it's a pretty shining endorsement, especially from a program like that, that they think this guy is capable of big things. So I was always a little miffed when Curtis never won a U23 national title. You know, he was going up against really talented riders like Logan Owen, Tobin Ortenblad, um, some really tough competition, Lance Heidet, and he came really close. He was always like, you know, when Velenews would be doing the list of the riders to watch, he was always the first or second rider to watch, but never actually put it together. And so I always had questions about that. Well, is this guy the real deal? Well, and to be fair, he did win Pan American Championships last year as an under-23, so maybe that was finally his chance to, to sort of prove that he is the real deal, and it is a big motivation, motivational boost when you can win a race like that. He's also one of those kids uh, who is very talented across a couple of different disciplines, and clearly it runs in the family. Emma White, his sister, obviously also extremely good across multiple disciplines, uh, and I think that also might have been a part of this because he... Stretched himself too thin, he said uh, at, at times across the road and the cyclocross circuits. Um, he was discuss he he was describing a, a a trip to Europe that he took with the under twenty three road team right after a stretch of cross racing where he was really tired, did not get adequate uh, rest between the two periods of racing, did not race well, didn't maybe get invited to some of the races that he had hoped to after that, and it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. So I think he's kind of refocused a little bit. Uh, he rides, or let's say rode for the Jelly Belly team in 2018. That team may no longer exist next year, or he may not be on it if it is a smaller program, and I think that could also change his uh, his focus. Yeah, so the good news is the domestic pro road scene is basically dead, so he won't have to worry about exactly. making that choice anymore. Well, he was sort of mirthfully des- you know, describing the fact that he's the, kind of the only guy on that team who... You know he, that he knows that has a job for next year because he at least has the cyclocross background, and none of those teammates of his can just go to cross when they don't have a job on the road. Gravel, just race gravel. There you go. Make that big gravel money. Uh, Curtis and Emma White also uh, Union College alums. My father's alma mater wow. and older oh. sister. Yes, I've Who spent knew? a lot of time at Union College. <laughs> Drinking in the dorms. Uh, that's a whole other story. Curtis that was a, describing the... So he's a classics major, and uh-huh. he's just turned in his final papers. Uh, he has learned he's Greek and Latin. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of winding down there. What? The bike racer who speaks Greek and Latin? Overachiever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, when you, you're, you're one of those thinker bike racers. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Him and Chris Blevins, who watch out, they're way smarter we than any of us. We are breeds. Yeah. yeah, right. So another rider who's really stepped up uh, to fill this, I wouldn't say void, but just to fill the opportunity 
is Kerry Werner. Kerry Werner has been on the radar for a long time. He's not, you know, a 22, 23-year-old like uh, 27. Curtis White. He's 27. Yeah. Mountain bike background. And he's been knocking on the door, getting podiums and wins for a number of years here, but really has capitalized, winning a lot of the early season domestic races. And Spencer, you spoke with Kerry. What did Kerry have to say about uh, the, some of the dynamics going on this year? Yeah, Kerry is, a, he's a, a gradual improver year to year, for lack of a better term. He kind of steps it up each year, and this is the year when it sort of intersects with the bit of a vacuum at the top, like we were saying. And Kerry Werner winning his first UCIC one race this season, which is a big deal because that's more points. Um, there's a few classifications of UCI cross races, World Cup, C1, C2. So winning a C1 is big for him. He's won uh, several other pretty significant races this season as well. Uh, And I think it's just the type of thing where he just has gradually honed his craft over the years. And and furthermore, there's, there's a few other riders that are kind of sort of in his neighborhood in the in the domestic cross scene that are also going to be out of the picture for nationals and that's going to be jamie driscoll who broke a femur while he was out training over the weekend and then uh also tobin ortenblad broke his collarbone at a race in sonoma california on sunday so those are two other riders that when they're gone it's again it provides a little more of a probability that a guy like carrie werner can step into the spotlight or curtis white for that matter carrie again has just kind of proved himself gradually over the years and with a few pretty high-profile wins this year, including the Cincinnati race. He won one of those races back in October. Uh, he was in the mix at Pan Ams, but he ended up fourth. Uh, it's it's definitely looking good for him for nationals, and we talk about that a little in this interview that we're going to put on in a sec here. To me, when I watched Kerry race last year at the uh, C1 races that I attended, he raced a lot like the mountain bike racers that I remember seeing uh, of yore, which was he raced like a strong racer, but perhaps not the most tactically savvy. So he sometimes would start a little slow, but make his way to the front group. And oftentimes you saw him taking some big monster pulls and being the guy who was responsible for shedding a lot of the riders, but in doing so, sort of putting himself on the back foot in a couple of these situations. And in reading some of the race reports this year, it seems like that has not been the case. It sounds like maybe his race craft has improved a little bit better, or, you know, he's just, he's, he's taking those big pulls and putting in those big efforts and people just can't go with them. I think you're probably right on both sides of that, uh, Fred, because he said as much that in these races now without Jeremy Powers, without Stephen Hyde to really be the the number one favorites, he can come into them and he would prefer it to have a full field, to have every guy there to racing us. But he recognizes that when those, when those top riders aren't there, he's able to ride within himself and control the race a little more. And and maybe that does lead to this type of dynamic where his riding style is perhaps better suited for that scenario where he doesn't have to play games as much with a, a guy like Stephen Hyde, who's really formidable when you get into the back half of a cross race. So with Kerry Werner and Curtis White really taking steps up this year, I mean, I know we're a couple weeks out here, but who do we think at this point is the favorite for U.S. men's nationals? I, for me, I think Kerry Werner is the guy. It's a this race in Cincinnati. Excuse me, this race in Louisville. I've mentioned before is is at a different venue than than the world's venue. It's 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 a hilly park that this race is held in, and it's honestly I feel like it's a mountain bikers type course. A lot of steep uphills. It could be very slippery and technical. I mean, Curtis White, of course, very accomplished in his own right. But I feel like Kerry Werner might have the edge on that type of course, especially if it's particularly technical. Yeah, I think the the course will be a really good test of White's uh, improvements. Some of the improvements that he's been working on and, and trying to uh, like shed weight and and get become that more all rounder. It'll be a good test because yeah, you're. I think Werner is pretty suited to this. But don't uh, forget though that Stephen Hyde will yeah, still be there. That is the other, the other guy. I'm still I'm still putting my money on Stephen Hyde. I know that he's been injured. I know that he's been uh, having downtime. But I've been doing some Instagram stalking on Mr. Stephen Hyde. I've seen a photo of him at the top of some snowy hill. Looks like he's breathing hard. Looks like he's doing some hill repeats. Uh, seen another picture. He's got the the cute dog. Uh, in the Instagram, I feel like when you're Instagramming photos of your cute dog, that means you're you're in a good place. Mm. You know, you're confident. I feel like, like dog photos. Yeah, is that's a sign the, of confidence. The uh, the dog rating. You know, we should yeah. come up with some sort of rating system where we can just troll 
these cyclists' uh, Instagrams and whatever and figure out how, how, how far on form they are based oh, on he, how many dog photos we see. Here he is in the gym. He's eating some pancakes. He's looking happy. I think Stephen Hyde is Ooh. primed to well, make a big comeback. The good news is we'll have a bit of a preview at this NBX race this weekend because all three of those guys, Curtis White, Stephen Hyde, Kerry Werner, they're all going to be there. Didn't we see like Wout Van Aert doing hill repeats in August and we were making fun of him for the leg warmers, the leg warmers and he right. has not had a great season. So I don't know, maybe hill repeats are uh, just not going to get you there these days. Whoa. Yeah, but he didn't have the doggy photos. And you, don't, and you don't do hill repeats regardless, Dane. So what do you know? Yeah, good point. What do I know? I'm just a guy. I'm just uh, a, nor- a normal person. <laughs> no hill repeats. Have you ever to done quote, a hill repeat, quote, Dane? On, on ru- yeah, running, just not with a bike. I've we, run we up should a take you out sometime. You know, not with a bike aside. Lap number two. Yeah. Well, Spencer, you caught up with Kerry Werner to talk about some of the dynamics in the men's elite field uh, that we've been talking about. So uh, let's throw it to old Kerry. Let's hear what he has to say. All right, Kerry Werner, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Just uh, coming off of a big turkey binge. That's right. We're catching up with you the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, It was one of the very few weekends where there isn't a cross race here in the U.S. So I'm The only. Right. It's crazy. Well, at least no UCI cross race, I should say. Um, yeah, yeah, very busy season here in the U.S. with lots and lots of UCI races. We talked about this at the start of the season. It's tough to prioritize. It seems like this year's it's gone pretty well for you, I'd say, so far, just looking at the results. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it seems like every year I've been able to build off of last season's success. This has been uh, this has been one of those years. So I got my first C1 win and. Done well in the other C1s as well as had some uh, wins in the C2s. So right now I'm ranked the top ranked U.S. rider. And last time I checked, I was 17th in the world, but that might have changed since today. I guess the UCI rankings updated, so I'm not sure. It's not like you keep track of that sort of thing or anything, do you? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, of course not. Uh, Yeah, man, I mean, it's definitely the sort of thing where I look at your results and I see each year it's sort of like like a steady uh, uphill angle, so to speak, as far as the progression. Results, wins, everything like that. Some guys come on to the scene and sort of blow up with a really great debut season. You're more kind of step-by-step. Is that... Does that sort of uh, line up with just sort of your general approach to racing and training? Is that kind of naturally how you're how you work? Well, I think like I think part of it is that you know I'm not sure how easy it comes for everybody else, but it surely doesn't come easy for me. And so like uh, I think for me, it's just kind of like you said, I just kind of steadily chip away at it and, and kind of take into account big picture and stuff like that. So. Uh, when I when I approach cross season and um, and the training beforehand, I'm really thinking about all the way through cross, all the way to world championships, and that's a that's like six or seven months of racing. So, um, so me and my coach Jim Lehman from CTS, we do a pretty good job of kind of keeping an even keel, trying not to blow up, you know, go too fast, too early, or you know, do some sort of peaking effort that would kind of like be the the season ender for me and it seems to be working out for me yeah it definitely does seem that way so you say it doesn't come too easy to you can you can you give me some specifics of like you know some setbacks that you've had or what what sort of is always a challenge for you either during the season or in preparation well i don't know i mean like for sure the support has always been there for me which is something i'm really fortunate to have you know, whether it's been family or scoring the right contract at the right time, like I, I really have, I've had to scramble here and there, but I've, I've always kind of made it work out, which I've, I've, I consider myself pretty fortunate, you know, to have that experience. But in terms of training and things, it's like, I, I feel like I can do big blocks of training and, and like the gains, you know, like, some people might experience a huge boost in performance or something like that. But for me, I feel like, you know, these big blocks I do, I might gain, you know, half a percent or something like that. So for me, it's like I have a, a, a bigger outlook, like my scope is wider. And I don't really, I mean, like for sure I'm all in every time I, every time I get on the bike and go for a workout, I'm trying to PR, but at the same time, it's, it's like, uh, 
know, I'm no, I'm no like Howard Grotz or Chris Blevins where, you know, they're just going to blow up and all of a sudden they're second at world championships or, you know, beating, you know, Schroeder off the line at world championships. <laughs> right. Of course, in the mountain bike side of things. Um, right. Yeah. I'd imagine some of it comes down to a confidence thing and your mental approach to races. You know, you started off the season with, with with two wins, you double up that Deschutes Brewery weekend back in September. How does that feel to come into the season and win the two openers? Is that is that make a big difference for you? Oh, for sure. I mean, like it just it did lay a, a really solid foundation for me. It, it kind of just boosted my, you know, the mental side of things and, and kind of showed me that yeah, I'm on the right track and this is where I need to be, especially with those World Cups. So. Early in the season, it was good to be able to like, you know, push both days and 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 be kind of uh, like a dominant force out there in the race instead of uh, maybe like limping through and just like taking it on the last lap kind of thing. I felt like I was in control for uh, you know for a lot of those races. I felt like I was in control at the beginning of the season. Um, yeah, so that was that was really nice. Yeah, that actually gets to a question I was thinking of asking you about, and that's the sort of racing dynamic in the elite men's field right now. And uh, we'll get into it a little more in a sec, but but for starters, you know, right from the early part of the season, Jeremy Powers had illness, um, Stephen Hyde crashes really badly, the first, the first World Cup. How does that change the dynamic in your race when those two kind of alpha males so to speak aren't in the mix what what how does it play out well i mean like for sure it's not ideal because you know those guys are like you said leaders in the in the sport and you know to have some of the strongest guys out and not racing it doesn't really benefit anybody in terms of you know boosting the overall kind of race experience for the the u.s scene i think like for me you know, I'd rather I'd rather get second or third consistently, or like not be not be the guy that like shows up and is expected to win. Like I I would rather it be you know kind of up in the air every weekend kind of thing. And when you take those guys out of the equation, it does it does make it more of that, but it also like it also kind of I guess like takes takes away from the overall quality of the race the speed you know the power the firepower but at the same time it does allow people like me and and curtis and uh you know some of the other guys to step up and get on the podium more kind of boost our confidence levels and you know that that's always a good thing too yeah definitely and to that point uh just this past weekend it's like when it rains and pours, Jer- uh, Jamie Driscoll breaks his femur in a training crash on Saturday. Uh, Tobin Ortenblad breaks his collarbone at a race on Sunday in Sonoma, California. Things are looking really different for for Cyclocross Nationals, which is going to be in a few weeks. But at this point, it seems like the die is kind of cast that a lot of the big names aren't going to be major factors in that race. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's really interesting. And then, you know, Steven's coming off his crash from Pan Am's. He hasn't raced since then either. And he's up in Massachusetts uh, putting a bunch of hours in on the trainer. So it's like, I'm sure he'll be ready. He, he, he's he been in this long enough. But, yeah, at the same time, it's like, that's a question. Tobin's out, which is unfortunate. You know, he, he had a, he's been having a rough season. And I, I felt like him going home after Pan Am's, kind of resetting i felt like he was going to come back with pretty good form for nationals and and jamie was also looking good uh you know going on the podium both days at major taylor and i'm sure he was pretty eager to like put in this last push uh and have a really good result in louisville so yeah i don't know i mean like you said it kind of opens things up um i don't know that it changes the top three like too much i think at least just from past results, I think it's going to be a battle of hopefully myself, Stephen, and Curtis. But, I mean, you know, anything can happen at Nationals. And here at the end of the season, it's been a long season, so who knows, you know? So it, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, maybe who's going to step up and take those 
take the you know the top five spots. Yeah, and that uh, that course in Louisville, it is um, for those who are, who are not familiar, it's it's different from the the Eva Bama World's Course. I was out there for the U.S. Cup CX race last year, and I got to think you'd agree with me that this is one of the hardest cross courses around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything, and uh, from what I saw on the crosshairs, kind of sneak peek coverage was that they're even changing it. <laughs> it seems like they're making it a bit harder. Wow. Uh, putting a putting a sand pit in, changing up the barriers, changing up the finish, kind of. It's going to be really kind of centered around these like 30 second efforts uh, all uphill in this valley kind of meadow area. There's some rolling knolls. Yeah. And uh, there's that section where there's like two two really good climbs in a row followed by, and that's that's right after a, a like the main technical feature. So, I mean, if we get a little bit of weather, it's going to be, it's going to be dicey. Yeah. And then, so considering um, Stephen Hyde and also Curtis White, how do you how do you kind of assess their strengths and weaknesses relative to yours? Yeah, so I mean, Stephen is a really good all around rider. Uh, it'll be interesting to see this weekend. We'll kind of all meet in Warwick for the last C one of the season for the MBX race. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how we shake each other out i'm sure it'll go down to the last lap last half lap and that's when the move is going to go um but curtis is a he's a really powerful rider and right now he's on really really good form he put me in the box both days really hard at supercross he basically well it was a super gnarly race with tons of running and he really showed that he kind of had worked on that aspect of his game so he's he's a really well-rounded rider i don't think He's quite as as good, maybe technically, as Stephen and I. And then Stephen, he's like a good whole package rider. So depending on how you know he handled his his training after his injuries, which you know I'm sure he did pretty well. I saw him do some crazy crazy shit where he was like on the trainer and then running around outside in the snow with a kettlebell. <laughs> <laughs> so the the determination was definitely there for him. So yeah, I don't know. I think. I think just like this weekend in Warwick, I think it's going to come down to the very end of the race. And, and yeah, I think it'll be a really good show. Yeah, well, let's hope so. You know, it's uh, the sort of thing where you always want for the full slate of favorites to be at Nationals, and it's a bummer when some of the guys are out, but uh, hopefully it still will be an entertaining one for the fans. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Kerry. Yeah, man, thank you. Yeah, I mean, he does sound, I would say, semi-confident going to the Nationals. Uh, well, he's always so mellow yeah, with that little tough. southern drawl he has. He's yeah. just cool as a cucumber. I need to do some Instagram stalking of him to see if he has a cute dog photos oh, yeah, on there. yeah, we should check on that. Uh, well, guys, let's move on to the other discussion to- topic we have today about cyclocross, and that is international women's cyclocross. So in the last few months, the World Cup series has been going on. And on the men's side, we've been seeing Mr. Matthew Vanderpoel just bludgeoning the men's field to death. I don't really know how else to describe it. I mean, just like such a different category of racer. This falls into Dane's description of cyclocross as a dirt time trial or a muddy time trial. Yeah, it has definitely been that way. It was kind of that way last season too, to be honest. Or a sandy time trial. Yeah, whatever the terrain though. That's the thing. Whatever the terrain, that guy is crushing it, which has led to lots of uh, angry tweets of fans saying, oh, this is boring. Roger Devlamic chimed in, said basically that Matthew Vanderpool, he didn't say it's killing cyclocross. He basically said that... He told him that he needs to just chill out for the first half of the race, so you actually think maybe it'll be more of an entertaining race and then then, then do the winning attack. Grumpy Roger Devlamic, I kind of agree with him. Yeah, you know? uh, But that has led to uh, lots of discussions about the women's race uh, because the women's racing has been really dynamic, really interesting. And you know what? I'm just going to go out and say it. Like, women's racing is always really interesting and dynamic, but it's just made to seem that much more interesting and dynamic this year, and I would say last year, because of the dominance of Vanderpool. Um, after 
five rounds. We have four different winners. Uh, Mariana Vaz has won twice, but Katie Keogh, Lucinda Brand, and Denise Betsema have also won. Some and first-time it, winners as well. Mm-hmm. Just seems like every any weekend a different uh, woman crosser has the opportunity to rise to the top. Yeah, and the, the, this races play out more with the group dynamics that you love to see in cyclocross where – There'll be attacks early in the race. You know, someone will take a whole shot, go on an early flyer. They'll come back. It'll regroup. Attacks will fly again. Maybe they'll get caught again. Maybe it'll whittle down. That's the type of cyclocross I love to watch because there's a lot of unpredictability. You can tell that the riders are testing their rivals. They're figuring out their tactics. They're trying to sort out which part of the course suits them better than others. There's just such an exciting dynamic in a race that plays out that way because you just never – it reminds us of the good old days of the, you know, Sven Nice and Stenek Stibar and Niels Albert and all those top riders just throwing haymakers at each other all the time. So here's the thing, though, is that in the women's elite field, we have seen situations in recent past when there has been a dominant rider. 2009, 2010, 2011, it was Katie Compton. We've seen uh, in recent years past Sana Kant winning – for sometimes three or sometimes four rounds of the World Cup. It, it seems like in years past, we have had riders who, female riders who may be not as dominant as Matthew Vanderpool is, but who are very good. Yet that is not the case this year. And there's a couple of different dynamics at play to explain why. I did some phone calling around with various sources in the scene to get unnamed just, sources. Unnamed sources, just to get some Secret. opinions and some thoughts on why. This is, and there's uh, there's a few different talking points. The first is this generational shift that may be going on, where you see riders in their early to mid twenties stepping up. So that's Katie Keogh, Denise Betsema, who's younger, um, Anna Marie Verst, who's 22. She has not won a race, but she's been right up there in all the races. She she's was, the worst. She's the worst. I, I know. What oh, can we? Can we do something for her? Maybe it's a false cognate. Name? Maybe it's a false cognate and Might actually be. means something really nice in Dutch. Anna Marie Best? Yeah, I don't know. I don't speak Dutch. Sorry. Of, of you know, there's oftentimes we have awesome cyclist names out there. Sarah Hammer, mm. Bob Roll. Taco Vanderhorn. There you go. But Anna Marie Worst. Not a great oh, name. Man, not a yeah. great bike name. But a great bike racer. She's she awesome. U23 world champion a couple years back, and she has really, really stepped up this year. And so you have this generation of gals in their 20s who are stepping up. Meanwhile, um, you know, there are some riders from the previous generation who are just not as fast this year as they seem to have been in the years past. You know, Katie Compton has had it, struggled through with a lot of challenges with asthma attacks Tough and other problems. Tough so far for her, yeah. Mariana Voss is very good. She's won two rounds, but she just doesn't seem to... I wouldn't say Mariana Voss is dominant. Voss had a season. weird day at Coxida on Sunday, the latest World Cup. She looked amazing off the start and was just on a flyer, and then she throughout the anchor yeah. and disappeared. Yeah. It was really weird. So she's very good, but she's not what you would call dominant. I feel like the Sonic Hunt question is the biggest one for me because she was dominant last season. Her 2017-2018 her season was was pretty unbelievable. She was seemingly winning every single race she entered, and then she went and won it all at the championships, which was uh, an, an elusive target for a lot of these riders who will win all season and then they can't win the world champion. She did that, and so... I'm just wondering where, where Sana Kant is, because she was that dominant rider. Yeah, so there's been some discussion around Sana Kant. Yeah, she has not been as good this year. I believe she's won a round of the DVV trophy, but she has not won a World Cup. Um, apparently, she was telling reporters at the World Cup round in Bern, Switzerland, that the travel to and from North America really took it out of her. She, this was weeks after the race, and she was still feeling jet-lagged, which, yeah, I know, we can all kind of roll our eyes Boo-hoo. at that. Boo-hooh. American cycle cross racers have had to deal with that sort of thing for ages now. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, come on. But I wonder, and this is just pure speculation on my end, that maybe Sonicon is dealing with some of the challenges that greet multi-time dominant racers, which is, you know, you can get all fired up for your first season of winning because you're the underdog, then you can get real fired up for the season to defend your throne, but when it starts to come to seasons three and seasons four, 
you know, you see this in mainstream sports sometimes too. It's sort of finding the and fire. And in Netflix series. And in, yeah, exactly. Uh, you also, know, House of Cards season five. Ooh, terrible. Ugh, Ooh, real stinker. Yeah. And it's almost like you need a, to find another reason to get yourself motivated. I'm not saying that's the case with uh, Sana Kant. Maybe she is still just really, her, her, her internal clock is thrown off from going to Iowa and then back to... Uh, to uh, Belgium. But, um, you know, we definitely see that from time to time with racers of that caliber. So, Fred, uh, I feel like there's some other factors at play here, too, though. I got to think that the pipeline is maybe different. There's maybe more riders getting excited to race cross now that there's more TV coverage of it in Europe, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, one of the other dynamics that was mentioned to me was that in men's racing, you you do see a lot of the same men racing full World Cup series, full DVV trophy series, full super prestige series because there's a lot of start money on the line for them. So Matthew Vanderpool, Tunerts, uh, Wout Van Aert, all those top guys, they're actually getting paid top dollar to show up to the DVV and the Super Prestige. Not for the World Cup, though, I believe. Not for the World right. Cup. But that's not the case in women's racing. I mean, they, they just they don't pay the same amount uh, for starts. Um, they do pay some, from what I know, and a lot of times you have to commit to the entire series. But you do see that, that opens the dynamic for um, women to drop in um, to drop in and do some of these races. So Denise Betsema, for example, did not do the North American rounds. Um, Anna Maria Wurst, she did not do the North American rounds. It allows them to focus their form a little more. Lucinda Brand, uh, who won the um, fourth round of the World Cup. Man, Lucinda Brand's been living her best life. So she raced the UCI Road Worlds and helped uh, her teammates Anna van der Bregen win, then took a little bit of a break and, again, did some Instagram stalking. She she was like, she did um, the La Roica ride. Oh, mm, nice. Little vintage like, uh, action. Vintage action. Had a nice. great time there. She did some weird, like, um, dune buggy racing or something. I don't know. I saw her, like, riding some dune buggy around outside of Rotterdam. It looked super fun. And it looked like she just took a little break and then came back in, did some cyclocross racing. And she's just a... She's a baller on a bike, road bike, mountain bike, cyclocross. And so, you know, she jumped into the cyclocross uh, round, World Cup round in Tabor, Czech Republic. Uh, You know, a power race, real power speed course, and, uh, and won it. So... Jeez, good job by her Yeah, for being able to jump in a World Cup and do that well. Yeah, that's pure talent right there. But that's the difference between something like the Women's uh, World Cup and the Men's World Cup, where it is the same group of men sort of week in, week out racing, where, you know, you can be, you can have different motivations uh, in, in women's racing. So what does this mean for our North American women's riders? Uh, we have Katie Compton. You know, she didn't have the World Cup series I think she would have liked. We have Katie Keogh won the second round in Iowa, but has been a little been quiet, been a bit quiet after that. Ellen Noble, who's done really well in North American races, but this trip over to Europe, you know, didn't really have top ten finishes or the results I think she would have liked. What do we think this means heading into nationals? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Of course, Katie Compton is the queen of U.S. cyclocross nationals, as one. I think 13 in a row now. I think it's 13 in a row. I'm, I'd have to fact check that. It's either 13 or 14. Either way, she's won as many as I can remember, and that's a lot. And now with her coming off this European swing that's maybe not ideal, perhaps she's showing a few chinks in the armor. I'm not really sure. But a little teaser for our next podcast, I'm going to be getting on the phone with Katie uh, later this week, and we'll get it right from her and hear, hear exactly about how that season's been going and what we can expect for nationals. I'm definitely curious about Noble because she was pretty much cleaning up on the North American scene. Uh, and, yeah, the, the European races maybe didn't go that well, but I can't imagine she's just going to come back and not be good after just, what, two World Cups it's been over there. So I, I think she's still got to be way up there as a favorite. It was 14th, Spencer. 14th. Thank you. Ooh, That's 14th. why we keep you around, Fred. I know. Fact she's, check. She's going for her 15th. I was at her second, I believe, or maybe it was her third. A uh, long time ago, but yeah, Katie Compton, pretty impressive. You know, yeah. going back and looking at some of her results on the World Cup, there were a couple of years there where she was dominating World Cup, DVV, and in like in recent memory. And so, you know, when you're a rider of that caliber heading into a race like Nationals that you have one, I'm with you, Spencer. I still think, despite the problems she's had this year, just the psychological advantage yeah. she's going to oh, yeah. carry 
coming into that race. I remember talking to Ellen Noble, I think it was in uh, Hartford, Hartford uh, Nationals a couple of years ago, and just talking to her about racing alongside Katie Compton. And this was a rider that she'd looked up to her entire youth. And while that is awesome, it, you know, getting to ride with your heroes, there must be an intimidation factor as well when you're somebody who's you know, that young racing against somebody that experienced. Well, yeah. Dana must she was, be. She was, eight, she was born, she yeah. was eight years old when, yeah. When, yeah. when Katie Compton won her first nationals. Yeah. Dana, I was going to say, it must be like, you know, podcasting yeah. with some of your heroes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Legends, veterans. Veterans. That's a nice way to put it, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Well, we have lots of good storylines to take us through December and into January in International Women's Cyclocross. And in International Men's Cyclocross, I guess we're just going to, I don't know, see if the aliens come down and abduct Matthew Vanderpool. And um, that opens the door for someone else. Well, there's all, I mean, the World Championships is still, it's not a foregone conclusion because yeah. he has trouble seemingly with, with uh, getting over the line there. It's yeah. true. It's cursed. Wild Fan Eric. Not cursed. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, guys, before we get out of here, should we do a little off the front, off the back? I think it's time. All I think right. It is time. Off the front, off the back, what's hot, what's not in the world of cycling. Who wants to go first? Sure, I'll take it. Oh. Yeah. Dane's going Whole first. Shot. Yeah, all right. Whole uh, shot. Uh, off the front, I'll go with, um, let's go stay-at-home dads. Veteran Phil Dignan retired from, from the sport of cycling. Uh, long time uh, breakaway specialist, always good for a strong attack, occasionally won a big race here and there, always good for a quote. Uh, he will be, uh, yeah, retiring at the end of this season, and uh, that means he gets to spend some time with his and Lizzie Dagnan's daughter, which is good. Good for her, good for him, good for everybody. Yeah, it's and good. Lizzie will be racing for the Trek yeah, Lizzie. team next year, and I'm excited. I'm yeah. hopeful that she's going to really stir up the women's pro road scene and, and really show the show the Bulls Dolmens ladies what it's like to have real competition out there. Do we know that Phil Dine is going to be a stay-at-home dad? What if he goes gets a job in finance? Yeah, and, yeah a lot of Simon Garrens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who knows? I don't know. Maybe he won't be. Well, well hopefully. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be calling him soon. Yeah. Uh, what else you got? Yeah, off the back, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, Unsigned contracts. Uh, Ivan Ramiro Sosa, one of these handshake contracts. Handshakes, yeah. Handshake back, deal. Yeah. yeah. Under the table deals. Basically, if you don't sign it, eh, you probably can't count on it. Ivan Ramiro Sosa, very talented, up and coming Colombian climber. One of those, you know, candidates for the next big thing moniker out of uh, Colombia. Had a deal with Trek. Uh, apparently, yeah, kind of backpedaled on that. It was not officially signed. It wasn't something that uh, they could take to the bank. He's actually headed over to Sky next year, just the latest young, talented guy that Sky has scooped up and, uh, yeah, pulled him right under Trek's nose. So sorry, Trek. There goes your great signing for the offseason. Oh, well. That's a real psych. Yeah, definite psych. Psych move. But Uh, at least now Egan Bernal will have a friend. That's true, yeah. Talk to each other in Spanish. (laughs) Um, I will go next. Off the front, I have getting political. You know, it's Thanksgiving. I'm sure we had some really great a- arguments with, like, uh, Uncle Doug about the state of the country. And um, someone who must have had a really intense argument with Uncle Doug is uh, Floyd Landis. What? Because this, no- this news just came down. Floyd Landis is challenging the legitimacy of the acting U.S. Attorney General Matthew Whitaker. Somehow, this news case, this news bit, ref- uh, relates to Landis's recently settled whistleblower lawsuit against uh, Lance Armstrong. Apparently, it's not; it has to still go through the courts. And Landis is saying that since this agreement was done under the previous attorney general, that being Jeff Sessions, and that he disagrees with the appointment strategy around this current attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, he is going to challenge the legitimacy of Whitaker. Oh, this makes my head hurt. I think the interesting wrinkle here is that challenging the legitimacy of the ruling, this is a ruling that helped Landis. And I I think the the point of this is he's challenging this this appointment, and that could end up hurting his actual case. And it could end up hurting his Continental team if he doesn't get that money. That's a good point. Yeah, but you know, hey, it's like uh, everyone I know is real political. People are joining indivisible groups and moveon.org and stuff like that and uh, signing petitions and stuff. And this is Floyd's way of getting in on it. Yeah, heck yeah. man. It's it's good, Floyd. I I support this. Off the back... Oh man, off the back. Uh this is uh, this is a serious story. Bad motivational tactics. Um last week a news story broke around the Cervelo Bigla team and a few former riders accused the owner Thomas Campana of using like 
fat shaming and really kind bullying, of bullying yeah. just gross motivational tactics to try and motivate his riders. One incident highlighted in the article detailed a team training camp where Campana is accused of telling two 19-year-old riders that they were not allowed to eat carbohydrates because they were fat. This is not the first time I've heard of such a story like this, especially in women's cycling. I remember 10 years ago editing a rider journal written by a rider about her experience on this Italian team, and literally it sounded like a hostage letter. Oh. It was like asking her husband to like send help, basically. And it's just... You know, it's it's easy to say, oh, stuff like this has no place in cycling, but it obviously it obviously does for whatever reason. Um, we as media outlets, we can cover this, we can give voice to riders, but at the end of the day, you know, it's up to sponsors and riders and teams of sort of the sport as itself to to choose to deal with it. So, here's hoping that we don't have to that women cycling cyclists in general don't have to put up with this activity going forward. Although my guess is that, um, they will. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a tricky cultural situation. Yeah. So, uh, off the back, don't act like this to riders or to anyone people. really yeah. to people, to anyone, normal people. Yeah. This, yeah. Dane, if I, if I'm shaming yeah. you over your Come stories, on. don't fat shame me. Just, just let me know, man. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right, Spencer, what you got? Okay. On that note, uh, my off the front is this new website that I've really fall in love with last week or so is cyclocross24.com. They are basically like the pro cycling stats for cyclocross. And for me, I'm just loving it because it's easy to look up these riders, look at all their results. And uh, we even uh, are able to embed some of their results into our race reports on velonews.com. So thanks to those guys for providing us a, a resource that I think has been sorely missing cyclocross. And uh, hopefully someone will do it for cross-country mountain bike racing mm. soon. I could use that as well. So get on it, web coder designer guys, and maybe you'll get recognized on the podcast too. My off the back is super chill enduro bros because it turns Ooh. out enduro mountain biking, not as chill as we thought it was. The enduro mountain bike race scene rocked this week by a doping story where Richie Rude and his longtime friend Jared Graves both turned in positive anti-doping tests way back in the early part of the season in France at one of the Enduro World Series rounds. And it's for a couple of weird uh, supplement type things that uh, maybe were from a tainted supplement. There's like a, one that affects your, your asthma. There's another that affects your, I think, is a bit of a stimulant. These guys are denying that they did anything wrong. And uh, it's definitely concerning because we've seen this all play out in road cycling before. And now here it is in enduro mountain bike racing, which, you know, is still a relatively new discipline in the sport. And you would think maybe a little less prevalent to see this type of thing happen. Yeah, you'd think that someone might test positive for like 15 Red Bulls. Right. Mm. But and, maybe this is the equivalent of that. Yeah, and it's hard to say what it is exactly. And hopefully they get to the bottom of it. The French anti-doping agency was involved in this testing. So uh, hopefully there's a there's a really detailed report on it. But um, for now, it's, it's pretty un un unclear what's going on. Pink Bike's done some real good reporting on it, I'll say. And... Um, but, uh, yeah, Spirit of Enduro, not really there right now. Come on, Enduro. Not chill. Not chill at all. Uh, well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on bellnews.com. Subscribe to the Bell News Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Bell News at Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Bella News podcast is produced by Bella News, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. Thoughts and opinions expressed on the Bella News podcast are those of the individual. As always, we leave you with a Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing, playing the Bernard Purdy classic, Soul Drums. 